I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So recently, guitar nerds switched to using Lewitt microphones, specifically the LCT440 condenser mic. Now, this mic is super affordable and very versatile. It's what I'm using right now. In fact, there are a bunch of videos from independent studio engineers with way more audio know-how than me comparing the LCT440 to mics three times its value, and it absolutely holding up. Plus, this mic is as good for instrument capture as it is for podcasting, as it is for vocals, which is great because I don't like messing around with mics, and I can literally use this for everything. The proof is in the pudding, though. So here is my tweed blues junior recorded at a reasonable room volume using nothing but the lua lct 440 nothing has been added in post no compressors or eqs this is exactly how the lua lct 440 captures the sound of fender's greatest amplifier Absolutely pucker. The 440 captures all of the depth and the character of the Blues Junior, and all I had to do was move it over the other side of the office and pop it in front of the amp. So if you're doing anything with home studio vibes, I strongly recommend this wonderful and affordable microphone. Check it out at lewitt-audio.com. Hello and welcome to the Guitar Nerds Podcast, the world's number one guitar podcast. I am your host, Joe Branton, joined this week by Matt Knight. Hello, Mr. Joe. Hello, Mr. Matt. Hello, welcome, welcome back, dear listener. Episode 44, hurtling, hurtling towards the end of season three. Gear of the year, round the corner. Yes, I know. It's close, Joe. The end of the year is very close, and I can't believe it. Yeah, so we still haven't sorted out exactly what we're doing for gear of the year, but uh, but that's fine. I'm going to do it, dear listener. I am going to do it. Okay, so before we actually start getting into the meat and potatoes of this podcast, I need to let you all know something, dear listener. I am 
going on tour. I've actually already been on the first bit of my tour. I did Brighton, UK and London um, over the over the weekend. I've got a, a couple of days off and then I'm back off to Bristol, Birmingham, up north and across the island. But it's going to take me the best part of two weeks. And I haven't been able to organise um, a podcast for next week. I was trying to record ahead to get it out in time, but things being what they have been, I've had an awful, awful lot of stuff going on uh, outside of this. And it's uh, it's affected that. So I'm afraid there's going to be a week off next week. But don't worry. Please don't hate me, dear listener. Uh, I'm going to make it up to you because we are going to have the best ever gear of the year. We've, got, we've still got guests booked for a couple of episodes this year. The gear of the year is going to be intense. We're going to do some quizzes to finish up the year. There's going to be some special appearances if you catch my drift, dear listener, on the Patreon side of things by a few old podcast friends um so you know look watch watch this space so i apologize for next week but i assure you the end of season three is going to be absolutely fantastic excellent that is it that is it yeah. end of end of the year and it'll be you know <clears throat> the good thing about gear of the year is remembering all the things that we talked about and then forgot that we talked about yeah absolutely. um and then going oh yeah that was really good and then also discovering all the things that we didn't talk about at all yeah <laughs> yeah exactly i always uh i start every year by making a gear of the year list so we have dear listener like a, a sort of shared google notes document for each episode that lists all the the things we're gonna touch upon and all of the new releases for that week whether we get around to talking them talking about them or not which is handy and what i do at the start of the year is at the end of every week i grab all those news articles and i put them in a separate document for gear of the year and i start forgetting to do that around episode five or six which means when it comes around to gear of the year i have the laborious task of going back through every single episode and finding <laughs> each news article and popping it in but it, it is great for being thorough and making sure i don't miss anything at the Indeed. end of the year it's i feel like it's still been a muted year it feels like a bit of the year of the pre-owned market and actually one of the things we're going to talk about a bit on this episode dear listener is reverb have released their best sellers although it was the website was down earlier um it yeah, was I back I was up trying to, back I was, up Oof, i was trying to goodness. click at the, the watch list and i was like no no it's gonna ruin <laughs> the podcast yeah, I know. <laughs> it's back up so we're good so we're gonna have a look at the best-selling guitars best-selling bass guitars best-selling amplifiers best-selling effects pedals the great thing about reverb now they do it this year i can't remember if they did it last year but they've separated out like best new products of the year and then best overall because we know sort of there are a few classics that are just always going to appear and probably trump most new things like it's interesting to see things like the boss ds1 um and the the boss blues driver and the proco rat appearing incredibly high on effects pedal list for the year. yeah anyway, so it's we total total sales globally right mm. if i remember that's right, right. That's and there are a few yeah. things to remember dear listener when considering this list it's not ultimate because there are an awful lot of retailers that don't stock on uh reverb so this can only be kind of that small, you know, whatever stuff is available on uh, on on Reverb at the time. And of course, Reverb has a much stronger pre-owned uh, market than it does new stuff. But mm. nonetheless, we're going to we'll have a flick through, have a look at those things. Um, but we see there are a few things in my head for Gear of the Year that stand out. <clears throat> I also think there have been a few 
things that I've really disliked that looking at the the bestsellers have sold really well, which I find depressing. So I think potentially we're going to see. Actually, no, I have faith in our listeners that they have good taste. I'm hoping <laughs> that when we do gear of the year, when we do listeners' choice, those few things that I absolutely hate don't appear in their selection. But I've I, yeah, this year has really felt like a, it's felt like a blur to be honest, mm. in terms of what's come out. And then there's also a lot of stuff. I've, I get the feeling there's a lot of stuff coming out sort of like now. Uh, right, even yeah. just as we started this podcast, there was um, a new announcement from Squire, which we might get to later. We but yeah, it feels like, I don't know, there's no, Nam is not in January. No. When is it? April? Uh, it May? Is, it is April. Yeah, April. it's April. Yeah. Um, Are you going? I'm not going. I don't know. Right. Is the correct answer to that question? <laughs> um, I, I don't know yet. I don't know. It's not really my bag. I don't really organise it. Um, so maybe I'd like to go. I'd like to hang out with all the people that we're friends with. Um, but yeah, but I think obviously Jan- January has always been a really busy time, and that's not going to be the case. I don't know whether more yeah. stuff's going to come out ready for Christmas. I think, you know, more stuff has just happened throughout the year, hasn't it? Because, yeah, yeah. you know, supply. I mean, we've literally just seen this announcement from uh, Eventide as well, which maybe we'll get to later as well. But, yeah, yeah that, that, there's hopefully, yeah. still some, some, big, some big stuff coming out. Absolutely. Well, you know, even from a from an Ashdown perspective, I've spent the I spent Sunday after I got back from my gig in today, um, putting together sort of the the one sheets as it were the the sort of the press announcement for the new stuff for twenty twenty three, and it's really exciting for me because I know, dear listener, right, I've said and, and Matt, I've said that I've had a a hand in a in a handful of things that Ashdown have put out mm-hmm. over the last little while since I've uh, since I've worked for them. But this year is the first year that we're doing this this overhaul of stuff. The core stuff will stay, but there's this overhaul of everything else. And I was like looking through it and I was like, hmm, I'm actually an awful lot of this stuff are things that I either presented, I pitched, because we all pitch in ideas. I either pitched or I helped develop, but almost all of them I've had a hand in and I'm really excited about it. There's like a, a range of guitar amps that I, I know I appreciate, dear listener. I know that Ashdown's a bass amp brand. It's tricky for a company like that to do guitar amps, but some really nice stuff, some really like stripped back little valve numbers, tasteful looking cabinets. So I've, I've got high hopes for that range of stuff. And then some cool, completely solid state uh, bass amp heads and cabs and then this super affordable line of bases that I've been working on in some great colours uh, so I'm I'm excited about that 2023 the the year that I think you're going to see a big change in the stuff that Ashdown do and without blowing my own trumpet an awful lot of that change had something to do with me at somewhere along the line so I'm, I'm pretty proud of it yeah um what uh what you want to do is bring back the uh the Fallen Angel, whatever. What was it called? Was it the yeah, Fallen Angel? It was the Fallen Angel. Still incredibly popular. People who like the amp love the amp. I, I hate it. Like that was actually one of the subject points. They were like, "Should we bring it back?" People seem to really love it. Wasn't but of it course, the first Ashdown amp? Was it? The it was first? the first Ashdown guitar amp. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was. It was that. 
Uh, but of course, you know, it was a big, it was a 6505 style thing, wasn't it? Mm. With a big 412. And of course, it's not just that that's not my vibe is I, I wouldn't be able to have input in that product because I don't know what you people would look for in that product. Uh, but I was, I was up there last week. Um, I got to, I was uh, testing bits and bobs. So it's really great. Like the designers give you these, uh, these breadboard versions of, of products and you play them for a bit and then you give them feedback on tone out tone tone changes and things like that <laughs> and then we do the looks a little bit later so we're doing some of that and it was fun doing that for the guitar things to be honest rather than the bass things but but no this is totally different i'm going after um like well it's of course my taste i'm going after like all valve low wattage like 15 watt s- small sort of uh lunchbox style heads with just the right amount of stuff. I'm I'm falling out with the idea of like cab sims and stuff at the moment. I'm like, why don't okay. we just have great quality DIs? Isn't that the point? Isn't a cab sim just an EQ bump? You know, why don't we just do that at the other end? Why don't we yeah. just do, do do that with the three bands of EQ you have? I think yeah. In some ways, you just kind of want to go line out and you want to plug it into something and it sounds really good. I mean, that's that. You know, just talking of my own experience and products. Obviously, that's kind of what I did with the dual cube yeah um yeah. when we were shooting some demos internally i was just like just take the line out i just like didn't really change anything i was like oh, that's really good and i was like that's fine that'll do i, I love that product i th- the 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 boss the the dual cube both the guitar and the bass one are absolutely fantastic like kind of, i mean they've completely replaced what was the where the positive grid was in my house half of the reason being that to really get the most out of the positive grid, you're logging your phone into it and switching things up mm-hmm. on your phone. And that's great. That's handy to be able to not be at the amplifier to change settings. But honestly, what do you, what, well, what do I do with an amp at home? I set a, an edge of breakup time with a fair chunk of reverb on it. And I don't really touch it past, past that because that's how I noodle at home. Mm-hmm. And just the sound, the, the, I can't believe the Roland Cube is as loud and as present as it is. Oh, sorry, the Boss Cube is a dual cube is as loud and present as it is, and lots yeah. of batteries if you want as well. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just got some. Um, it has got some some chunky volume, which is which I just love. I think it's mm. you know it's kind of what you want, isn't it? You don't want to. I always remember the first the the first series of the Yamaha THRs like when we had them installed. They were always like, you know, if you were going to demo it for someone, you'd always be like, right, better like make sure you turn the volume up to like nine. So there was right. actually like something out of it. Do you know what I mean? Were they really quiet, the first ones? The first ones, I always remember the ones we had on the display. They were really, really quiet. I always remember you just, you, you kind of, you almost, in some ways, I want it to be a bit like a valve amp in the sense that it's kind of a lot of your volumes in the first third of the uh, <laughs> of the amp and then you just, yeah. and then you take it from there, you know. But yeah. uh, no, I always remember you had to get them, you had to get them quite a way up to get some decent volume out of it i i've spent less time with that amp than i guess any of the competition like you know the boss stuff or positive grid or i don't know anyone else i can think i get i guess for me and i am biased but i guess for me is it is really about um plug and play you know and the spark for me was always a bit like that's not plug and play. Yeah, I, I I agree. I've come I've come round to that thing. I think it's what made me end up using the Helix less and less. Mm. Um, 
even though I actually think the Helix is incredibly intuitive, dear listener, and, and you know, a, a fantastic bet. I just, uh, you know, I, I could say the same thing about the uh, about newer DSPs, Quad Cortex, or the or the the Boss GT. Like it's those mm. things when there's when there's all that stuff on there, and essentially what you need is an edge of breakup amp with a bit of reverb. Mm. You know, then which isn't what everyone needs, but that tends to be what how I'm playing at home and. And yeah, I just don't need all that stuff. And I agree. The positive grid, I was like, well, which one of these amplifiers do I use? Which one of these 10 reverbs do I use? I just like that the uh, the Boss Dual Cube, I'm just, uh, you know, picking the, the, I can't remember what you call it. Is it the British, is British style? I picked the, the, Brit- Brit- the British is the, like, the Voxy type yeah, one. exactly. And That's obviously like what the I use. Type one. Yeah. So I obviously choose the British one and a, a, a bunch of reverb and it just sounds great. Yeah, that's all you need. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That is true. But Matt, I can't believe it. It's finally happened. It has. I can't believe it's happened. How long ago did we start talking about We had planned to make an episode of this, I think, six weeks ago. Uh, Yeah, so the EOB, the Ed O'Brien, it turned up on my door totally unannounced (laughs) Uh, in classic... (laughs) classic fashion of um delivery drivers it turned up uh, no i actually think it was a replacement because i do think you, do you think the original is still lost yeah the original someone out there is no actually you know a lot of people are like oh someone out there's got their hands on a nice little no it's strap. just a warehouse somewhere it is it's absolutely in the raiders yes. of the lost raiders ark the warehouse lost ark. Yeah, exactly. you know it's like that massive warehouse um of like suitcases for, that have been lost on planes. Yeah. You know, that are just 99% closed. It's just there somewhere. It, you, really sadly, it's probably just in a warehouse somewhere because it basically got the wrong label put on it. Yeah, basically. Uh, and- what we're talking about, dear listener, because we've just had EOB so far, there's the Fender Ed O'Brien Stratocaster. Yes, the Ed O'Brien Stratocaster. So, yeah, it turned up on my door unannounced um, on Wednesday, Thursday. I can't believe how many mods you've made since then. I took it to bits as soon as I got it. and was just like, <laughs> uh, so I plugged it in. I was like, does it work? I was like, yeah, it's great. Um, I mean, it was just good. <laughs> it was good in a way that um, my wife had COVID and we decided to cancel the holiday. So I was actually in because otherwise I wouldn't have been in. I would have missed the delivery and would be right back to square one of trying to find out where it's gone. Um, but yeah, no, I got it. And I had just a great guitar. I mean, it's been so many years since I played the one that we had for review. Oh, it's just so rare to get a strap with a proper neck on it. I know. Well, it it reminds me very much of the necklace on the Bahas. They're kind of very chunky, um, but that kind of it's it's very much. I think what's interesting about it first comments it's very lightweight, which is right. it's kind of nice, really nice and lightweight. Um, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's strung up with nines, which is way too light. Way too light. Um, but that's fine. So strung up with nines. Um, but it's a very vintage guitar in the, in the sense that you've got vintage um, machine heads. Um, right. The kind of the the post ones where you put the string the in the middle ones. Oh, lovely! Yes. Um, you've then got a. So I spent ages like trying to find spec details and stuff on it and measuring things, and it's like it's actually. And then got the manual up of like all the parts, and then pulled up all the part numbers to be like, oh, which parts are these? Because I'm a loser. Um, you sound like Jay Cross. And yeah, it basically has um, the Fender. I think it's an American trem. There's the trem parts that they're on a lot of the American instruments. So that's like vintage American string spacing and mounting plate on the trem. Right. Because I was thinking very much about, and we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute, but like mods or changing parts. And you kind of got to know what size is because they talk about imports and squires and, you know, because it's a Mexican built guitar. I should say that. Mexican built guitar. Um, so obviously that that can sometimes vary the parts that they use um but yeah very vintage in in that sense in the sense of the 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 saddles but the great thing is the neck profile is nine and a half so it's a little bit more modern it's a little bit easier to play it's like an unfinished like satin maple neck which is really nice super smooth awful um and the neck goes from a kind of yeah deep v to like a kind of they call it a 10 to 56 v so it's more v like at the lower end so the the kind of first frets and then it's a little bit rounder as you go into the middle and up up the top so much easier to play and then yeah you've got a sustainiac in the neck a uh texas special in the middle and then a jb jr in the bridge and it's kind of like a it still sounds like a strat because i was a bit worried and it's been a while since i played it i was like Effectively, it's an HSH guitar because the Sustainiac is a humbucker. Yeah. And then you've got a single coil and then you've got another humbucker. So yeah. I was like, is it going to sound like, is it even going to sound like, do I need it to sound like a Strat? Is it going to sound like a Strat? Do I really care? The if best it sounds thing like about strat- that, that little, that JB Mini is that they do, they they have a Stratty feel in the it's, bridge, um, but like supercharged. I've always loved that pickup. It basically sounds like a Strat on steroids which is kind of <laughs> always been my appeal with the strat plus and the right, yeah. lace sensors is that it still sounds like a strat it's just a bit beefier i guess and yeah i mean it, it does really sound just beefy it's it's amazing it sounds like a really really beefy strat and then just spent a bit of time with it today kind of learning how the sustainer works and like learning how to tame that. So you've then also got volume, tone, and volume. Um, But the third volume is the intensity of the sustainer. Right. So it's kind of like... And you've got a little three-way toggle, right? Yeah, so you've got two toggles, sustainer on and off, and then you've got a a three-way sustainer that goes between natural mode, mix mode, and and then harmonic mode so harmonic it's exactly the same as an ebo basically so you've got that kind of upper octave mode your kind of standard mode and then you can get a mix of the two and the intensity control basically controls the intensity of the 
vibration the electromagnet in the sustainer right um so when you turn the sustainer on what it does is it turns the neck pickup on and then routes everything to the bridge pickup I so the see. so the sustainer works like your the neck pickup works like your ebo and then the bridge pickup works like the pickup to I then understand. output the signal yeah um but yeah got it and then i was like I was thinking, I'd already been thinking about different scratch plates. And I was like, oh, what, I- what is, I, I am a big fan. So I will admit that your scratch plate change is not, is not, I'm not a fan of because I love an Olympic white. Olympic white. It's Olympic quite, white with a white guard, uh, especially if it's an off white guard. I'm a big fan of. I think the, the, the white with the kind of white plastic hardware makes it look, to me, makes it look really cheap. Right. Um, and Tell I really love, yeah, I kind of, re- yeah, I will. Um, I am a big fan, especially on vintage guitars, of single ply scratch plates. Right. Um, or tortoiseshell. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to put tortoiseshell on it because I've already got, I've realized I've pretty much got tortoiseshell on everything else. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, and then I was like, you know, you just like Google guitar and color and pick guard op- options. And I was like, I wonder what this looks like with this. Um, and then I suddenly remembered the J Mascus Jazzmaster. Yes. And I was like, oh, that looked really good in white with gold, anodized mm. gold anodized. plate. Anodized plates are great with white. They only work with two colors, sunburst and white. So I was like, ah. Oh, stuff it i'm gonna do that and then i went to all i was like where can i order one from and i was like looking around and there's like some you know you can get all these like cheap like chinese manufactured ones they're like oh it takes like seven weeks and it comes from china uh-huh. uh or dub i think it's wd music or they're called armstrong music now and yes they, yeah that's right yeah. they're like a, a shoot of like offshoot of like an american shop but i think they were like oh they're all made to order it takes six weeks and then i was like fender make one and obviously fender make <laughs> the official one so um i got that because i realized also talking of the vintage specs it's it's an eight screw scratch plate not a more modern 11 screw scratch plate i don't think that really makes a massive difference but i was no, like you'd, oh yeah you'd be surprised i mean i don't know but if it works like the precision base you you get slightly exposed holes if you try and switch between the two right yeah so um so anyway i got that um and then at the same time it's like gotta get a new strap for it new guitar gotta get a new strap so who'd you go to who'd well, you choose there's only one option in 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 my eyes joe and that is mother mary straps straight from james's home of tone right uh speaking to good old uh mr james over at james's home of tone i was just like because they're the best and for anyone listening who doesn't know they are just really nice, really well-built straps that come in a range of really funky fabrics. Um, they just make some really nice straps that, yeah, you just look a bit different to everything else. They're not super expensive. They're not exactly the cheapest straps. I would say they are pretty affordable. They're like $50, aren't they? That's yeah, I think roughly about 50, for a strap. $50. I think 50 bucks is fair. Um, and they're a good quality strap, and that's that's what you want, right? So um, so I was like, oh, you know, respect James, and was like, oh, can you sort something out? Because they do like, like basically different, like limited drops of straps. 
uh, and different things. He's always got different ones on his website. I went for the ones on his website, and now I'm looking at the ones on their website. Going, oh, my God, they've got, like, so many good ones. And they obviously do a lot in, like, floral and pink and things that were, like, old curtains and stuff like that, which is just – they're just different to any other strap. They, they um, Yeah, their straps look fantastic. I wish they know. weren't made out of dead animals, but they, they, yeah, they, not, they, not, they look fantastic. Not vegan, unfortunately, for all of our vegan listeners. We know there's <laughs> a, few, a few of you out there. Um, and obviously the great thing about James's home tone is he does lots of other things and nice things uh, and nice things to look at, and he's very helpful. Um, but one of, the, one of the things I thought was quite cool, uh, I'm just going to try and find it so I can the uh, exact thing. So he's paired up uh he hasn't really like talked about it or pushed it much um just put sort of put them on the website and i saw it and i was like oh that would look good so he's teamed up with indra guitars uh, oh I yes really know... i i have an indra scratch plate for my jazz bass oh do you he does like acid etched ah, plates okay well that makes sense so yeah indra guitars um he's teamed up with them to make some like basically acid etched um neck plates oh yes i did see these tone logo so they're kind of cool strap knob that beaming up the little house um and yeah they got one in like a kind of brushed brass and i was like that would also look good with the anodized gold scratch plate so he sought me out one of those as well and i put them all on and i set it up with 11s and it played like crap (laughs) (laughs) and i totally buggered it and uh, i was like oh my god i can't it's like but no i'm gonna dig myself out of this hole i'm gonna dig up i'm gonna dig myself out of this hole and i remember joe you sent me the music because i I remembered you sent me the music nomad setup kit yes um and i foolishly was like yeah cool this this and that and then i sort of knew what i was doing and then i sort of did it all and then i was like well, this is rubbish. I was like, it doesn't play good at all. Um, and then I realised what I thought was just a tiny booklet of other things they sell was actually a step-by-step setup guide using all of their tools. Um, yes. So on my lunch break today, I did a proper setup following the step-by-step guide. And now it plays absolutely wonderfully. Um, and I would honestly urge everyone... Whether you're going to do a lot of setups or whether you are just need something in a toolkit, um, I would recommend you buy their guitar setup kit. Um, now, I think they call it... I don't know if they have a particular name for this kit. I think they call it the Precision Setup Guide. Yes, that sounds right. Uh, which is a six-piece kit. So what you get is you get two radius gauges you get a a tool to measure the um strings whether you're for the nut depth and then one to measure the truss rod and um measurements and then you also get this kind of like credit card shaped piece of metal on every side so has handy different different uh measurements for um string height uh for pickup height um it has a kind of um ideal heights for different setups and then they get this basically get this little book that walks you through step by step and it was really interesting because it's like you do this and then you do this make sure and then you do this and then this is the string the you know and then the, the interesting one was the radius gauge i was like oh why do you need to measure the radius if you know what it is but it's actually for resting on the strings and then 
getting the radius of the strings on your saddles correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then once I'd gone through that and I'd done it properly, I was like, oh, this is great. Um, I was using the – that comes with a little pick capo. was using that completely wrong because I thought I knew better. And that's why you should always read the manual. Because <laughs> uh, basically I wasn't putting the pick capo on right. And then I was using the measurement gauge, and I was like, God, the action's still way too high. So I basically like tightened the truss rod like beyond belief. And then oh, um, it bottomed the whole thing out, and I was like, oh, no. And then I loosened it, and then th- that was the only thing about this Strat that they could absolutely change. And this is the one thing about vintage guitars that is rubbish. Having it's to got, take the neck off. You've got to take the neck off to adjust yeah. the truss rod. Yeah. I must have had the neck off about eight times. Yeah, yeah. So my fifties P base the same. Like, and I, I've 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 had to like filler the the neck plate holes because you know I've I've owned the guitar for what fifteen years and I've had the neck off so many times that oh. it, it doesn't sit in the. It's a terrible. It's a terrible feature. Yeah, it's it's a rubbish design. And then, like, when you watch, like, the official Fender setup video, they're like, yeah, don't take all the screws out. Just do, like, 30% on this one, 8%, and then just, like, pop it off. And it's like, you can't, because, like, the strings are in the way, and it's like, it doesn't work. And I'm just like... So, anyway, so I had the neck off a few times, did that. But now I've sort of played around with it. I did all of that, and then I was I plugged it in, and I was like, the neck pickup doesn't work. Because I tell you, it was an absolute faff trying to stuff all the wiring back into the cavities <laughs> putting the plate back on because there's so many wires in there it takes a battery as well doesn't it this it takes a battery in the back so the back has got the back plate with the trem claw and then it's got a battery pack and then it's got another cutout for the sustainer staniac circuit board um which is probably the reason it's quite light because it's got three yeah so much wood missing <laughs> so much wood missing but yeah, it took me ages, and I was like, "God, oh, neck pickup's not right." And again, reading the manual, uh, it's, it gives you a pickup height gauge, and I thought it was the pickup height from the pickup to the string, just like normal. But you've got to fret at the like top fret and then measure it. And I was like, "Oh, yes. everything's way too low." Sustainiac so basically wasn't working; it was just like completely farting out. And then obviously, I realised that it's obviously got to have a certain level of like magnetic pull. Um, So you always learn something. You've got to make mistakes to learn. It sounds like Um, you were on a proper journey. I was. And then I put the strap on it and uh, I played it and it sounds great. So what was the strap? What was the type of strap that you got? I got, oh, I can't remember the name now. I'm going to have to have a look. But it is basically white with some red flowers on it. It's very lovely. Uh, It looks lovely. I think they call it... uh, no, I'm gonna have to. I'd have to have a look on James. No, it's fine, but it's it's lovely. It's a lovely looking strap. Yeah, I just I just thought you know a bit of a white strap with a bit of color just brings out a little bit of the uh, the guitar. But I say one of the biggest changes that I made that I was amazed made the difference. And I don't know if it's in my head or not. Um, but one of the first things I did was I took the back plate off because I wanted to see how many springs were in there, uh-huh. and I was measuring and I was testing the trem block to see if. The vintage ones that they put in Fender guitars are steel or not, which they're not. They're like a compound. Right. Um, and I did. I left it off and I strummed the guitar and it just suddenly was just super open and just like super loud. 
and I haven't put it back on. <laughs> oh, cool. That's really cool. Um, That's a lovely they, thing to find out. Yeah, they do say sometimes that obviously there's a few people out there like Mr. Eric Johnson who don't have a, um, a backplate. But yeah, yeah so, I, t- I, took, I took the backplates off of all my strats, but that oh, was just you? because they, they feel uncomfortable. Yeah, um, I just... Um, I just I just took it off and it sounded better, so I just sort of left it. And then yeah, so as of as of lunchtime, kind of finally got it all all set up and all working. And and there's a bigger and greater sense of achievement and playing it when it all works. And that's wonderful. So it. so now that it's all done, like, are you a hundred percent happy with this guitar? How do you how do you feel about it yeah. in comparison to you own a, a bunch of pretty high quality guitars? How is this comparing? Well, it's it's interesting because. Obviously, the guitar I'm going to compare it to the most is my Music Man. Yeah. Um, Your and uh, my, James Valentine. My James Valentine. My other Nick Huber Krautster is obviously my other high-end guitar. Ooh, but Fantastic guitar. I play the Music Man, you know, 90% of the time. And obviously, that's the guitar you're comparing it to. And the neck is very similar in terms of feel. Oh, is it? Um, I always thought it was quite a taper on the um valentine no it's well i'm I mean, just remembering just, it wrong i've only played one a handful of times in terms of like the satin feel and the kind of ah. smoothness of it it's really really similar it's a kind of similar thickness as well which is nice definitely can feel the different frets on the valentine compared to the um the ed o'brien which is fine and they both play really really is the ed o'brien nicely. very traditional tall and thin yeah i can't remember what the actual name of the frets no, they've got who on cares? It, but, but they're kind of yeah very much like vintage frets right um but ultimately i just want all my guitars to, to almost play exactly the same which is obviously right you know unless paul is going to play differently to a strat obviously but you know you kind of want them to have a similar kind of feel which is why i put 11s on the ed o'brien which is why i've got 11s on the other basically 11s on everything um and because playing nines when i got out of box i'm like god this feels like like jelly like there's nothing there um so it was nice putting 11 11s on but actually for my i know when it came out a lot of people oh it's expensive but actually because it's and oh it's expensive for a mexican guitar but i i think at retail on the fender website like 12.99 euro 12.29 pounds i think maybe I think it's a you get so much guitar for your money, even just in terms of like a real vintage kind of spec, almost. Um, but I think you know the big thing that Ed O'Brien said when they made that guitar was that he didn't want it to be a signature guitar that felt like when you picked it up you had to like play like him or the person whose name was on it. Yeah, he wanted to make a great guitar that anyone could pick up and be inspired to make music on because it hasn't actually got his name on it anywhere really oh that's no. interesting does it have something on like the back the neck plate yeah the, the neck plate's got a stamp and a serial number that says ed o'brien but right, and, right. and the scratch plate says ed o'brien on it as well but <laughs> I see. um ed, 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 underneath sorry not on the top underneath it says oh really oh that's cool so yeah you can't see his name on it at all or or anything like that uh the only weird thing was is that it comes with a gig bag but fender pack the guitar in the box and then shove the gig bag down the side <laughs> and I was like, why don't you put the guitar in the gig bag be and safer. then ship the guitar in the gig bag? Um, but yeah, so it was it was interesting you say that about how does it stack up because before I got it, I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to, you know, probably going to change the saddles. I'm probably going to change the trim block, you know, and put these. But actually now that I've set it up, I'm like, do you need to do any of that? Hmm. 
I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you've ever had that, Joe, where you're like, oh, I'm going to change this, I'm going to change that. But actually, are you changing it because you can change it and there's options out there to change it or because well, you actually feel that the change would make a difference? I will say that the Edda Brown is a very modded guitar out of the box. Hmm. Um, so there's less need to adjust there's less it need than... for pickups and stuff. Well, that's it. So the reason that you adjust normally is because, you know, for example, you buy a, I don't know, a Fender player Stratocaster and you know very, actually, it's a bad example because the, the new pickups for the player series have punched well above their weight. You buy mm-hmm. a random Stratocaster. It's affordable. Maybe it's Mexican made. Um, and you're like, these pickups are, um, you know, are probably just fine you know they're just going to be cheap and stock and you want to get your sound your stamp on that so you purchase a set of pickups that are more in line with the specific thing that you want to do whereas um the Ed O'Brien's already a signature model i'd like why would you buy a signature model and then mod it <laughs> yeah yeah i guess i mean the great thing is it is a great guitar to kind of mess around with in that sure. sense because it's it feels less that you're like destroying Jimi Hendrix's soul by <laughs> modding a Jimi Hendrix Strat, and actually, yeah, you've got a, you've kind of got a really well built guitar. And I think the thing is, is yeah, I must admit, maybe slightly phased by that. Like, oh, you know, maybe I want like better block saddles on it, or maybe I want to put a different trend block on it because the one that's in there isn't like, you know vintage correct or pure steel or whatever. And then I'm like, actually, when I plugged it in, I think it sounds really good. So the difference of actually doing anything would be, I don't know. I don't know whether you, it, it it would only be satisfying to buy it, buy the part and have it in the post and then put it on. And then would you really hear the difference or do you need to make the difference? Yeah. That's, that's the kind of thing that, you know, I'm sort of realistically going probably don't need to bother. The only thing that did worry, worry me was the pressed saddles. Cause when you've got, bent saddles i found that sometimes the um like that the adjustment screws have stick out and it's maybe not as comfortable to rest your hand on but they're actually completely flush on this oh really that's that's yeah i have um, permanent scars on the underside of my palm from playing 60s precision bases <laughs> yeah no so actually like straight out of the box set it up yeah it's really good and i i wouldn't really change a thing the only thing i thought was maybe like locking machine heads but then i was like to be honest i've it's set up with the bridge completely flat against the body uh, with only two springs so you can use a trim and it's still fairly light but the bridge is pulled all the way back Uh and i'm like i'm not even going to use the trim on it to be honest i I actually don't i'm not going to i don't think i'll use the trim um so I was like, actually, it's fine. The only thing I, I would potentially do is put go, oh, maybe I'll put another spring in the back. But then actually, it kind of, that would change the tension a bit and it kind of feels sure. like it's all it's kind of all fine. So you don't really need to do anything apart from put thicker strings on it. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> what is it? What is happening? Dear listener, are we wrong? Is there something wrong with us? Like, why do you want nines? Elevens make it feel like a proper instrument. Yeah, it, it's it's funny because you know a uh, friend a friend of mine I know you've met him a few times um, Joe Alex Hutchins obviously amazing just amazing player and uh, so many times I've sat down and played his like waghorn guitars which are like amazing like custom built guitars from from Bristol but he plays eights 
Ugh. with literally like the lowest. I mean, his t- his touch is so light That's that the, the strings isn't never yeah. buzz. Whereas I play it, I'm like, it's like, Kunk. it's like, yeah. I'm like, I can't bring a note out of this thing. <laughs> um, and then when he plays it, it's like it's a totally different thing. I'm just like, but then I've, he's like played one of my guitars, and he's like, oh, man, how do you like? How do you play this? Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like setups are so personal. Yeah, it's like a part of your personality, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that's the. I think that's the thing. Like modding part and lots of lots of different parts and options is great, but actually, you should only do it if the guitar the guitar doesn't work for you. And that's you know why I've done things like I modded the Baja in terms of the pickups. I modded my beer baritone Chapman because of that. Um, and you know but otherwise if you like the guitar don't don't change anything you know i changed the pickups in the hoover because i didn't like the sound of the pickups that are in there but i wouldn't change anything about the guitar because the guitar itself is just it's just perfect the only guitar i've not touched apart from the string gauge is the valentine really well yeah and do you know it was i know we've talked about this before but um we, we can't often say oh you know the great thing about music man is you know where you've got an artist's signature um, the one that comes off the shelf is exactly the same as the one that the artist plays on yeah. tour. Yeah, and they're always a complete reinvention of everything. Yeah, know? and then I was watching um, a rig rundown with Chris Shiflett from the Foo Fighters, and obviously he's got a signature telly, but the one he plays on stage is a master-built one. Because he was like, <laughs> oh, you know, we had to make lots of changes and cutbacks to hit a certain price point and this, that, and the other. So he's like, when I went, when I said, oh, you know, I'm going to get one, we said, let's do one with all the bells and whistles and got a master-built one. I'm like, it's not the same guitar, though, no, is it? No, uh, I, I don't like that. You know, that's not a cool thing to do. You know, there, there, there are plenty of players that, man, it's not just music, man. There are plenty of Fender players that, that have managed that, that play their goddamn signature models. I mean, actually, it was one of the things. Who? What? What guest did we? Hear? Oh, it was Thorpey, wasn't it? When we had Thorpey on, and he was like, didn't like that about Bonamassa that he has umpteen signature models and plays precisely zero of them. Yeah. I do. Th- I do think Bonamassa is an exception to the rule. I kind of. I disagreed with Thorpey on that. In that, I think Bonamassa's entire purpose is to play these vintage guitars, so it's kind mm. of impossible for him to play his signature models that's not the point you go to see Bonamassa not because you like his music because let's face it it's not very good what you do is you go there to hear the incredible tone of these amazing vintage instruments Mm. yeah absolutely and I mean you know I, I, I think that's the thing isn't it but for me if I could have if I could have a signature guitar from anyone it would be Music Man and it would be really well I think it's because you would make a guitar they would make a guitar exactly how you wanted it yeah regardless of how many people maybe wanted to buy that exact same guitar, if they really believed in you as an artist. But the great thing is, is that anyone that did want to play your guitar could play your actual guitar because the guitar that they will give you off the factory will be no different to the guitar that they will sell to everyone else. Yeah. And I, and I, and I really, I really like that. And I like that creative freedom. And I think, you know, I love Fender and, you know, it's great to own a, a new fender you know it's been a while since i bought a a new guitar and um but ultimately if you're going to have a custom they're probably just going to be like well you can have strat or telly or jazz master or jaguar and then it's like which neck you know you're kind of just like like we do on so many custom builders websites you're just going down the list aren't you until yeah 
they get to your spec and maybe if you're that high profile they might change the neck profile do you a custom neck profile or, yeah yeah you know but well like you know this. i remember um you know to, to, I'm, I'm gonna see uh biffy clyro to tomorrow uh playing bournemouth and uh they, they've invited me to to come down for the sound check and i'm going to go up on stage and check out all their gear and everything uh, dear listener it's because james johnson the bass player in biffy clary is an ashdown artist we're making him a bass at the moment a new signature bass so that's kind of why but i've met him before and they invite him they asked if i'd be you know come down so i'm going to go down and check all this stuff out but anyway my, my the the roundabout point here was both simon neil and James Johnson used to have Squire signature models. Mm. But, of course, Simon Neal plays exclusively, and he has a great selection of them. But they are all Heavy Relic 60s-style Fender Strat custom shops. Mm. And for whatever reason, I mean, maybe I'll ask him, you know, <laughs> at one point. But his uh, the signature model that came out of Squire for him was a Fiesta Red maple-necked 50s strat which i have never seen him play uh, mm. james johnson the bass player at least he he played the fender the squire signature bass that he had but uh, yeah i always thought that was the simon neils was the weirdest signature model ever because he's almost a man that i would say is known for playing 60s strats yeah oh, it's a great it's a great looking squire though it is a great looking squire fiesta red maple neck is very very cool yeah it's just you know if if you if you didn't know the name of it and you said yes whose signature model this is, he's probably you know one of the last strat players you'd ever think of. Mm. Yeah, ab- absolutely, absolutely. But um, yeah, I think yeah, it's an interesting thing, isn't it, with signatures and you know I don't think I'd ever be lucky enough to uh, be offered one. But if I if I went for one, it'd be know. Music Man. Yeah, it would. I just you know I love I I just absolutely love that james valentine it is the best really should just try and reach out to his management again and be like just come on the podcast and just i know we met him that one time but just come on the podcast and just be like yeah i made the best guitar ever what of it (laughs) um but yeah now i've got a new guitar to kind of fall in love with wonderful i don't have to do much to it wonderful Uh, not more than i thought but if anyone's got any suggestions any listeners have got suggestions do this or try that then uh drop them in the group Let's have a chat. How are your basics modifications going? Well, interesting. So uh, James Dore, was that James Dore? I think it was. That was his name. Um, in the Facebook group said, oh, you should get one of these hardtail conversion plates, which I've never seen before. But it's a very interesting and simple idea. Um, and he was like, oh, I've got one on my Squire. And I was like, I was like, where can you even find these? And I found a few, but they're not easy to find anywhere. Um, So I spent a little while searching around, and I did manage to find a company in America that makes a basic specific one that I assume (laughs) will fit the Squire. So everything that I read said that the, from a parts perspective from Fender, the Squire parts are basically the same as the other brands. Right. The uh, the other models they make to like in terms of Jaguar and Jazzmaster um, to basically so they don't have to manufacture a different type of trem, um, but ultimately the string spacing should be slightly different on a basics compared to a Jaguar or Jazzmaster. So I found a a company online called Faction Guitars that make 
a base six specific hardtail plate. Um, so I've taken the punt and ordered one of those. Um, and it's it's basically exactly the same plate that goes on the trem system, except it's just got six cutout holes that you put the strings in rather than thread them through the the trem. It's a genius idea to take the trem out of the out of the guitar, and then obviously it just comes up um, and then sits on the uh, on the bridge as normal. You can buy something called a buzz stop. Um, which is like an extra roller that the strings go under to alter the brake angle slightly to stop some of the buzzing. Um, but uh, yeah, I've I've bought one of those hardtail plates to see how it goes. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I'm I'm excited to to see how this becomes. What 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 else are you thinking? Is is that kind of where you're at, at the moment? Have you made I, any decisions about anything else? I, I think to you know I. I tell you one thing that makes a huge difference is just giving your frets a clean and cleaning the fretboard on your squire <laughs> if you haven't done it before because the fretboard was super dry. I mean, you don't change the strings that often, and once I put some labellas on it, I'm definitely not going to be changing the strings that often at all. <laughs> um, I bought a set of the round wounds in the end because the flat wounds were just no, Matt. Just... It's a false economy. The round wounds might be twenty pounds cheaper, but they're going to be. You know, they're going to go dead in, in six months. The flat rounds, you never change again. I sort of want them to go a bit dead, though. <laughs> okay. Right. But, I, but I don't, I, I just, I know it's it's the flat rounds. And the last time I had a guitar with anything similar, I had a Burns bass with the tape rounds on it. Tape rounds on it? Were they tape, oh. weren't they tape rounds? Black nylon black, tape rounds? Yeah, oh the, black, the black strings. You're talking dirty to me now. I know, they, they, it did feel good. It did feel good. Um, but yeah, I think... To be honest, again, when I took it apart, in a sense, I put a tortoiseshell scratch plate on it, which is part of the reason I was like, <laughs> I can't. But also, I put a tortoiseshell scratch plate on it that I bought off eBay, which definitely shipped from some sort of crap factory in China that fits, although one of the pickup holes is routed slightly too big. So there's a bit of a like five mil gap around one of the pickups, which I'm not so bothered about, but I'm like, I did only pay like 20 quid for it. And then I've basically ruined the environment by shipping it probably by air um so i sort of felt really depressed off after i'd sort of received that and gone i can't believe i've paid 20 quid from a scratch plate from china yeah um i should have just forked out and got a proper one really um but anyway i took it apart and i was like actually this guitar is really good <laughs> <laughs> just really really good like you know it's well built you know the frets are finished nicely yes they could do with a bit of a clean the, the fretboard needs a bit of a kind of rehydrate but actually the guitar itself is built really really well um the only thing i i thought about changing realistically and i know we we sort of talked about this joe I'd be interested to get your thoughts on it is just changing the pickups um yes. I, yeah i don't know just sort of thought about you know maybe going well what else could you make it sound like so you have so since last week when we spoke about this you have taken off the plate and had a look and there's no swimming pool route nothing as lucky as that so you do have to cut into the body if you want to change the pickup size so what are you thinking do you just want to because i'm happy to do that i've already mentioned what, what the pickups that i think i'm gonna get but what what do you think you'd you'd do well i spoke to because i actually like all three pickups on or just the neck and the bridge on right it's pretty okay. much how i leave it all the time and i favor the, the of... neck and the middle i 
pretty much don't use the bridge. I'm thinking if I got a custom plate cut, I'd actually just not have the third pickup rooted and remove it completely. I like that idea. That sounds quite cool, actually. Um, I, I don't know, really. I was talking, so I'm talking to uh, Stuart at Sunbear, and I was just like, I don't know. Like, I don't want this to be overly bassy because, you know, I want to, I do use it for more chord stuff and, you know, kind of some sort of more ambient stuff. So, need need it to cut through a little bit. Definitely don't want them to be too, like, honky in the mid range. Um, but I was like, I don't know. I was like, probably don't want to go full Jack Bruce vintage, but then I also don't don't want to go like mega modern. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of want. I was just like, just do what you think is gonna be best. Um, and I think the only thing probably worth doing is uh, changing, just kind of probably changing the pots on it. They use those really cheap, like tiny. Oh, they're pots. horrible. Yeah. Um. So, you know, James over at Home Tone does make a basics harness. Um, does he? And oh, I, I didn't yeah, know that. Oh, that's exciting. But but I've realised, Joe, as, I, as I'm moving house and I'm starting to sort things out, I found a box in my loft full of basically guitar parts that have been ripped out of various projects over the years. And I must own about... 30 really high quality guitar pots that have just come from like various harnesses or other things um i feel really bad actually and uh whether the, whether the guys from the this company still listen or not but gun gun street worrying who we had a few bits from a while back on the podcast they actually made me a custom uh wiring harness for my telly um they also did one for my sg and then they also made me one for my les paul which ultimately i never put in because i sold the les paul <laughs> so i've got this amazing wiring harness for a les paul and all the spare. more reason to buy another les paul and I'm, like, and I'm like yeah well exactly i was like mm, i could should i just sell this i'm never gonna use it i'm like no i'll save it because at one point i'll own les paul um but I've, I've got loads of yeah i've got loads of really nice guitar pots i've got loads of somehow i think because i bought a bunch to put in loads of my guitars and then somehow they're not in the guitars anymore and i don't know why but the bare knuckle make a kind of um really like high quality like paper and oil cap capacitor for tone controls i've got like four of them like kicking around <laughs> just like so many parts i'm like oh my god this is really embarrassing like where did all this stuff come from um so i probably don't need them to make a harness because when i get the pickups changed i'll be like can you just put all these really nice pots in it since i've got a load kicking around um but yeah definitely the the electronics are the the kind of things like the pots and stuff are probably the weakest point about it. Um, I mean, you could put a mastery trim on it. I I am going to change the bridge um, for some sort of better quality, more solid saddles. Right. Everything else, I'm like, it's fine. Just give the frets <laughs> a good clean. It's fine. Um, Fair and it's funny because the more, especially when I messed around with the EOB, you kind of go, I kind of... You know, when we worked in shops, it's all about custom shop or bust. Do you know what I mean? It's all about like, especially when we worked in GAC, it was like, what's the coolest custom shop? Like, what's the most awesome specs you can have? And I just remember playing a lot less of like normal guitars. Oh, that sounds awful to say, but you know, when you when you ordered, 
you know, when I got to order like every custom shop that like came into the shop pretty much. Do you know what I mean? And you got to pick and choose out of cases you you know you did it all the time. And now yeah. I, I play less guitars. Um and actually just appreciate guitars more f- when you actually get the chance to play a, a nice one yeah, from any absolutely. range. And I think there's so many great squire guitars, Mexican guitars, you know, and guitars are just like a mid price point now. Um, and actually, you know, you mentioned it right at the beginning of the podcast, second hand. I mean, there's been such an explosion in second hand guitars in the last two years because of supply shortages and demand and all sorts of things. I mean, just like the stuff you can buy second hand that you would have never seen before. I mean, yeah. it's just, there's loads of great stuff out there, but also just loads of great stuff coming out from like Squire and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. They're just so consistent. They're so good. The quality mm. is so good. Mm. Um, but, you know, oh, yeah. and, but it's interesting that now uh, alongside that, things that were great standard guitars, like American standard strats from 2000 to the same price they were <laughs> 22 <laughs> years ago. It's like know, the ultimate investment. You was like, if you owned one of them and then you sold, you bought one new and you sold it now, you'd lose no money. Well, I think the ultimate investment is any form of Blink-182 signature model because the, the prices on the Tom DeLonge and the Mark Hoppus, either the Tom DeLonge Gibson or the Fender and the Mark Hoppus uh, precision base, well, precision base pickup in a jazz base body with a P bass neck. They're unbelievable. I remember, you know, I shared on our like a uh, private little guitar nerds group, Matt, the, where I, I shared that a picture came up on my Facebook of me, you know, holding a couple of P basses back in the get guitar shop, you know, mm. like 10 years ago or whatever. And there's a Mark Hoppus on the wall for like 599. <laughs> and That's now, crazy, now they're like, if you can find one, and the one comes up every blue moon, they're 1,500 quid, you know. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah. It is. And I think that's the thing. It's it's all about the generational buzz around th- those sure. kind of things because... Um, oh, you mean because 18-year-olds bought them 20 years ago? <laughs> yeah, it's it's like... Um, and now we're all 38. <laughs> I can't remember if I talked about this on the podcast before. But my dad, I, I, kind of similar to your dad, Joe, is into cars and classic cars and things like that and but my dad yeah i think it was a similar age my dad's 72 so the his idea of like a classic car was when he was you know 10 you know to 20 it was cars from like the 1930s to the 1940s or the 1950s they were classic cars to him so they're the cars that he wants but everyone who wants those cars are now in their 80s and they're like i can't maintain a car that's I mean, my dad just sold a car that's nearly a hundred years old. Ooh, you know, and you yeah. just think. But now the the popular cars, the the cars from like the eighties and the nineties, yeah. because nineties kids who couldn't drive, who couldn't have those cars, have now got money and want those cars. And it's yeah. almost like when you were ten or twelve or thirteen, and you couldn't get the Mark Hoppus one. So now <laughs> <Yeah>. you've now <laughs> you're exactly like 30, now you're thirty eight, and everyone wants one. Um, the the price the inevitably the price inevitably goes up so yeah. yeah it's very much like a generational thing I think yeah um but yeah it, it is it is mad it's one of those ones that I just you wish you could have bought there's definitely been a few of those where I'm like man if you'd have been able to buy one of them you'd be laughing now honestly yeah I mean the, the crazy one is that I remember playing before I even really knew who John Mayer was playing the very first signature they did the black strap that came in the deluxe hard case of course bought, yeah. 
they were fourteen nine nine, and I think they go for about twenty grand. <laughs> it's just like imagine that as a return on investment. I that's, mean, it's just the one like, you want. Absolutely bonkers. Um, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's like they've really things aren't limited anymore. No, you know, in a, in in one way because everyone knows how much money they can make. Some things are truly limited because of of part supply, but. You know, when it comes to guitars, it's like limited could be fifty thousand guitars. Well, it's not <laughs> just, know. but it's not just about how many they are. It's about how willing people are to part with them. The fact mm. is that in the early two thousands, Fender made an awful lot of Mark Copper signature models. We had them coming in and out. They did them in, they did them in two colours initially. They did them in the blue and the green. Then when he did plus foot, uh, no, then when they did pants and jacket, they released them in white with a black paint and black with a black paint. Then when he did plus 44, they released a through green and a white with a torque guard. And mm. then they reversed the pickup. And I think, I don't know. I don't know what finish it came in then. But there have been three, four iterations of that guitar. And they were coming in and out of GAC the whole time I was there. Selling very well. All for 599, 699. There are a lot of them on the market out there. But you never see them come up secondhand. Because the people that have them obviously actually do really like those instruments so it's sort of mm. it's it's not just the player it's obviously it is a great guitar because you know that that wasn't a limited run instrument by any stretch mm. it goes for three times its value quite happily now and the same with the tom delong 333 uh, you know sorry dear listener that i'm just talking about the blink 182 models I mean, it, it, whether you you know like the band or not you shouldn't they're terrible but I do because I'm a terrible loser. But you know the the, the instruments themselves are, are very very cool looking, and the, that ES three 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 is uh, um, is incredibly cool, and you just never see them secondhand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, God, imagine if you managed to buy one of them. I know. Um, it's, it, I mean, again, it's the same with the Billy Joe, which we've talked about before. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, that's I'm, I'm amazed. Uh, to me, I, someone was saying the other day, I think it was Andy Mooney that said there's a lot of amazing guitar players, but there's very few guitar heroes. And, you know, because obviously we still talk about Slash being one of the still guitar heroes, realistically. You know, he, of so many ages, especially when we worked in the shop, you know, you'd get 10-year-olds to 60-year-olds being like, oh, Slash, I want to sound like Slash from Guns N' Roses, whatever. He, 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 arguably, he invented a sound, though. Yeah. And I think uh, that's yeah, the absolutely. difference. It's, it's not an infinite thing. Like, people, you know, you get that that sort of, uh, forgive me, dear list, listener, that common baby boomer criticism that we're not creating stadium rock and roll bands anymore. And it's, it's not that the generations aren't. It's that you can't just, it's not just, it doesn't start from zero every time. The, the rock and roll and, and sort of that, that whole movement is a thing that started at a certain point and we're moving further away from that point. It's not mm. re reinventing for every generation. We're moving away from it. And so it's, it's harder and harder to create on, you know, one instrument with one flipping tuning, as far as most of you are concerned. The, yeah. the, you know, it's, it's harder to create those things, that, that new sound. Yeah, and but what I was going to say is the one person that really feels like who was slightly later than that, who still commands a guitar hero level, is Billy Joe Armstrong. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think he is quite. I don't don't really like the band, but he's definitely responsible for a very very particular tone, mm. style, sound. Yeah, 
and one yeah. that's that's had a big impact on I think you know our generation and younger you know yeah absolutely but um yeah it was always that question again it's like what guitar should I buy it's an investment and I was like I don't think you should ever buy a guitar as an investment no it defeats the point it, it does and you just you know you don't want to play it and I think it's like buy a guitar that you want to play and love and you know what if you're lucky enough in 20 years and you def- you do definitely want to sell it then um then maybe you'll make some money on it. But I definitely yeah. feel there's a lot of unique choice for brand new guitars now that will, some of them will pique a lot of people's interest in like 20 years' time. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. Well, we are uh, we are coming up to the end of this week's episode of the Guitarist Podcast. We haven't done half our stuff, man. I was going to do a demo this week and everything. We haven't got around to it. I guess we'll do that over on the, uh, on the pa- Patreon episode. Yeah, let's do let's do a bit of demo on the Patreon episode. Still as much feedback as we can get from people on should we, shouldn't we, what works, what doesn't. Yeah. Um maybe we should should we talk about some reverb bestsellers? Should we leave that till next week? Let's leave that till next week. That's a big old topic. Oh, you're in not itself. here next week, are you? Oh no. Well the week after then. The week after. That's a big old topic in itself. But we'll talk about some other stuff on over on the Patreon. Maybe we'll take some questions as well. Um, I think, by the way, just on that on the base six thing, I think I'm going to get one of the fifty nine path humbuckers that some bear dudes go in the neck of my base six. I think that's nice. going to be my mod. I've got one of those in the bridge of my Nick Huber. It's very good. Oh, there you go. There you go. It will be exciting. Anyway, uh, dear listener, that is um, that is all the time we have on this week's episode. So uh, you can, of course. Join us over on Patreon, where we record an extra episode every week. We've got three Patreon tiers. $1, where you get this episode ad-free and early. $5 gets you access to the Patreon back catalogue. $10 gets your name sung in the song at the end. Join us on any of our social media platforms, but especially on Facebook, where you can get involved in our weekly episode discussion. Thank you for listening. You've been lovely. We've been the Guitar Nerds. Farewell. Bye. Walker, Jorrit Brown, Andy Hoffler, Holly Simpson, John Conway, Russell Healing, Paul Drew, Peter Pesh, Ty Allen, Yogi the Guitarist, Sean Hughes, Brian Hansen, Eric Emmer, Jeffrey Wax, Brian Einzler, Gavin Vanden, Linden, Andy Manley, Mark Zau, Kandawaki, Simon Milborn, and Stuart Robson, Eric File, Joe Pratt, James Dorr, A. Matthews, Tytopia, The Band, 